Well, this uh, American guy, it's back in the States, uh, one summer night, he decided to take a little bit of a stroll. And uh, as he was walking along, he crossed his favorite river bridge. And, and lo and behold, there was a man there standing on the ledge, just getting ready to jump. And he said, wait, wait, no, 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 don't, please, please don't jump. Uh, d talk with me, talk with me. It, are you religious? And the guy said, well, yeah, yeah I, I am. Oh, okay, are you Hindu, Jew, Buddhist, Christian? I, I, I'm a Christian. Oh, okay, good. I, I'm a Christian too. Uh, now, okay, are you, are you Roman Catholic? Are you Protestant? Are you Orthodox? He said, oh, well, I'm a Protestant. Oh, me too. I'm a Protestant. That's, that's very good. Uh, what kind of Protestant are you? Uh, you know, Presbyterian, Baptist, Pentecostal. Well, I'm a Baptist. Oh, me too. I'm a Baptist. Uh, well, are you Southern Baptist or are you Northern Baptist? Well, I'm a Northern Baptist. Well, me too. This is really good. We're getting someplace here. Uh, okay, uh, now are you a conservative Northern Baptist or are you a liberal Northern Baptist? Well, well, I'm a conservative Northern Baptist. Me too. This is fabulous. Are you the Northern Baptist conservative uh, Eastern Convention? Or are you the Northern Baptist uh, conservative Great Lakes Convention? Well, I'm a, a Northern Baptist conservative Great Lakes Convention. Me too. Me too. This is, this is fabulous. Okay. Uh, are you a Northern Baptist Great Lakes Convention Council of 1879? Are you a Northern Baptist Great Lakes Convention Council of 1912? Well, I, I'm the Council of, of 1912. Die, heretic! <laughs> you know, sometimes we get a little carried away on things uh, as the body of Christ. And there are certain things that can divide us that in the, you know, the, the flow of history will seem rather silly. And I, I've really appreciated David. I've appreciated getting to know him the last couple of years as uh, a few times we've had uh, a meal together or we prayed together. Uh, and I really appreciated David when uh, he was just looking at coming here, how he took the initiative to come and meet with me and talk about what we were doing at City Temple and say, hey, I, we, we'll do our lunch service on a different day than you do and, and we want to we work together and we want to cooperate. Uh, and I remember one time we were sitting down at a, a cafe over yonder somewhere and, uh, and David had just started the prayer room here and about uh, October of 2013 we started what we call the City of London House of Prayer uh, at City Temple in our prayer room. And, and I remember David being a, a little concerned you know, about the potential conflict uh, uh, or conflict Competition, really, uh, because it you know it seemed like we were doing a lot of the same things, uh, and and it really is a, a sign of what the Lord is doing and a sign of our hearts. But but he was concerned, and and I said, you know, David, there we go, uh, you know, David, when we can say that 98% of London is Christian, then we'll start talking about competition. But until that time. I don't think we have to worry about it too much. Because I was looking uh, back last April, the Lord gave me a, a very significant revelation. I was sitting in the eastern part of the United States in the state of Pennsylvania, uh, and the group that I was sitting with and talking with, they were talking about how in the three counties uh, surrounding this small community that we were in, there was about a half a million people who didn't know Jesus, who needed to hear the gospel, who needed to respond to Jesus. And I thought, wow, okay, that's, that's a, a mission field, uh, a number of people that we need to reach out to. 
Uh, and I looked and, and I started uh, doing some math and I got out Google Maps as you do and I was looking at where one of the ministers were. Uh, he was about 15 miles to the, the north and west and another minister was about 15 miles directly south of where we were uh, in this town. And, and so I, I drew a circle around this center point uh, with a 15 mile radius uh, and looked and said, okay, well, in that circle, you've got uh, 500,000 people who need to know Jesus. And then I thought, well, let's draw a circle around City Temple. Let's put a point, and, and we're very close. So I would say we could draw a circle. We put uh, City Temple and St. Seps. If you, if you drew a big map of London, you took a dart, and you threw the dart, and you hit right in the middle, you'd hit our two churches, especially if the dart was big enough. <laughs> uh, and so you look at there, let's draw a 15-mile radius circle around us, and based on the, the estimated population of London, about 8.5 million, and based on the fact that 6 to 8% of Londoners probably know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that leaves us with at least 7 million people within 15 miles of where we sit right now who need to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Seven million people who without the gospel will die and go to hell. Seven million people who need to know the good news of Jesus Christ. I don't think we have a whole lot to compete over because the task is greatly, is much bigger than either of us can accomplish or even both of us together can accomplish. It's only by the power of God that we can accomplish this. And it's only in unity that we will accomplish the task at hand. Unity is so important, and unity is fundamental to who we are as believers. Uh, at City Temple, the, the last few weeks, I've been talking about living the good life and different things that it takes to live the good life. And I'll tell you that living in unity, dwelling in unity, is essential to anyone who wants to live the good life. Dwelling in unity is essential to any church that wants to make a difference in the kingdom of God. Dwelling in unity is essential to any group of churches that want to make a difference in advancing the kingdom of God so that their city and even their nation is changed. And so the Lord's calling us to dwell in unity. But so often, I think we misunderstand that. And so this morning, briefly, I want to talk about what is unity and what it means to dwell in unity. I want to talk about a little bit of why we do it. And I want to talk about how we can do it and give some ideas about that. Uh, and then I'll summarize. And then while we were worshiping, the Lord gave me a prophetic word that I think I'd like to speak out uh, and share with you all. Uh, so I hope, hope that's okay. Now, it's very interesting. When you look at unity and you go up, uh, there's not a lot of uh, even theological dictionaries that give you a nice, concise definition of what unity is or what Christian unity is. So I wrote one. If you're from City Temple, you know I do that all the time. I like to define things. And so let me give you my definition of unity here. It's the Father's gift of Christian familial oneness, that's like a family, familial oneness that flows from the oneness of God and manifests in a diversity joined in Christ by the power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now let me read it all together. Uh, the Father's gift of Christian familial oneness that flows from the oneness of God and manifests in a diversity joined in Christ by the power and fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The source of our unity is always God. 
Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Uh, it comes from God. It, it happens in the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's a gift of the Holy Spirit. And it's important to note that scripturally, unity is a gift of the Holy Spirit that has already been given to us. It's not a gift of the Holy Spirit that we have to work for. We don't work to get unity. We have unity just as a, a gift, as a natural outflow of the Holy Spirit. And we are called to embrace and maintain our unity as we celebrate our diversity within the kingdom of God and seek to live and walk and flow in that diversity. So we have a oneness. We are brothers and sisters in Christ, but we have this oneness in God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit that manifests as a diversity and shows the greatness and the glory of our God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what our unity is all about. Now, this unity clearly, biblically today, has some significant benefits. And I'll briefly list six that come out from the, the Psalms passage and the Ecclesiastes passage. In Psalm 133, that's like the classic passage on Christian unity. I mean, everybody reads that, uh, and, and it's worthy of a, a whole sermon in and of itself or even a series of sermons. But we see three key things that come out of that passage. First of all, we learn that one of the great benefits of unity, one of the great reasons to do it is that it's good and pleasant. It's fun to be in unity. I, I love going out to meals with people with whom I'm united. I, I love going out to meals, but especially with people <laughs> with whom I'm united. It's pleasant. It's joyful. It's much better for my wife and I to be in unity than it is for us to be upset with one another. Uh, in fact, over the years of, of doing ministry, I have never counseled with a couple that said, oh yeah, well, we prefer to be disunited and disharmonious and unpleasant with each other. And I've never been to a church where they've said, yeah, we think that fighting with one another and putting each other down and humiliating one another, that's the essence of our life together as a church. Now, and I've never even really been with, with pastors who are together who really want to be quarreling with one another. Occasionally you get some, uh, you know, but uh, we'll just push them off the bridge. <laughs> you know, it's good. It's fun. But unity not only is good and pleasant, and that's one reason to do it. Another reason is because it's a place of anointing. It's a place where the Holy Spirit is poured out. It's a place where in our worship, something special happens. And it's, no significant that the, uh, it's not insignificant that the anointing oil was poured over Aaron, who is the high priest. So when we're in unity, there's something that happens in the Spirit of God. And certainly was today. I mean, many of us had prophetic words. Many of us were hearing from the Lord more clearly than we might normally hear because we're together in unity right here in this place. And also, according to the psalmist, uh, unity is a place where God actually commands a blessing. God commands his blessing. God commands life when his people are together in unity. When you're together in unity as a church, God commands a blessing there. When we're together in unity as two churches, God is commanding a blessing. And that blessing spreads out from us and affects everybody around us. Because that's the way it is with God. When God blesses you, 
you cannot help but bless the people around you. When God blesses your church, you can't help but bless your community. When God blesses a, a group of churches, that blessing flows out into the city. And that's what God is doing. Now, uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes also gives us a, a few other reasons why we need to be in, uni uh, be in unity. I mean, one is so that uh, we can get a, a better reward. You know, when the two are working together, there is a better reward. There's a greater outcome. There's a better outcome. The reward is greater. And when two churches are linking together, working in unity, I believe the, the word applies there as well, that there is a greater reward. The kingdom goes forth in greater power. More people are healed. More people are saved. More demons are cast out. All of that happens. Another thing is that we can bless each other. We can help each other. We can encourage each other. You know, one, if you get cold, you know, it's hard to keep warm. But if you got two people, at least you can snuggle up together. You know, and, and for our two churches, we can snuggle up together. We can keep each other warm. When we think that the city is cold and cruel and opposed to Christians, when we think that the government is, is against us, uh, when we think that society is against us, when we think that Islam is against us and atheism is against us and we got everything against us, at least we can keep each other warm and say, hey, you look good. Yeah, you look good too. And we encourage each other. But the most significant thing, I think, from this Ecclesiastes passage is this. When two are together, they're not easily defeated. We live in a time where Satan opposes us. Satan does not want us to succeed. And by the way, Satan is our enemy. It's not people. Atheists aren't our enemy. Muslims aren't our enemy. Uh, gays aren't our enemy. Uh, you can put in whatever blank. People are not the enemy. Satan is the enemy. Paul says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And that's our battle. Right here in the city, there are big spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places all around us, and they do not want us to succeed. They do not want us to thrive. Jesus said that you can't plunder the, uh, the man's house, the strong man's house, unless you first bind the strong man. The strong man is a demonic force. Let me tell you that when two churches are standing together in unity, the strong man cannot prevail against us. He can prevail against us independently of one another, but when we're in unity, he cannot prevail. It is impossible for him to succeed. And as David said, when the two great streams of British Christianity are coming together, nonconformity and the Church of England coming together and beginning to flow together as one mighty stream, as one mighty river, everything will be swept away from the front of us by the power of God in Jesus Christ. And so unity has some amazing benefits. So then the question comes, okay, how do we do it? You know, how do we live in unity? We all, we all want it. We all value it. I, I've never met anybody that doesn't. You know, so the question comes, well, how do we do it? How do, how do we live it out? Well, that's where Paul and his words to us from Ephesians become very, very important. Now, notice what he says, and I'm going to uh, turn to that passage. Notice, notice some of the things that he says there uh, in Ephesians chapter 4. He starts out and says something that we can often miss, but is absolutely essential to unity. He says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you 
to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Now you think, well, okay, what does that have to do with unity? It is essential if we are to have unity that we take responsibility for ourselves to live in a manner worthy of our calling as followers of Jesus Christ. We are responsible to make sure that we're praying, that we're reading the Bible, that we're living for Jesus, that we're repenting of our sin, that we're forgiving those who have wounded us. We are responsible in the power of the Holy Spirit to be using our spiritual gifts, to be fulfilling the purpose and sense of mission and vision that God has given us. Uh, we are responsible for ourselves in that way. And this is where this impacts unity. Most of the time as Christians, what we tend to do is focus on what other people are doing and how other people are living or not living in a manner worthy of the calling. Now, so it's really easy in a marriage relationship to start saying, well, you know, my wife's not doing this and she's not doing this and she's not doing this and she really needs to do this. And then we start to say, okay, well, maybe I need to correct her and maybe I need to tell her how she needs to live. Now, those of you who, who are married know how unsuccessful that is. It never works. In fact, it can lead to divorce. It's not a good thing. Why? Because you have to take responsibility for yourself. You know, what I've learned is that if I become the husband that God wants me to be, then my wife finds it easier to be the wife for me that I really want her to be. And I don't even have to tell her to be that wife. She just becomes that wife because I'm being the husband before God that I'm supposed to be. Does that make sense? And we see this in churches as well. A lot of times what people in churches do, they don't focus on their own life and living in a manner worthy of the calling to which they've been called. They focus on how other people are not doing that. And they tend to focus that on themselves. So if you're really called to prayer, you know, you're, you're in there and you're in the prayer room and you're spending hours in the prayer room. Then you look around and you start thinking, well, you know, there's, there's 100 people in this church and there's only 10 in the prayer room. You know, th those other heretics, I'm going to push them off the bridge. And we have that, that attitude, you know, that this church ain't praying because, you know, there's 90 people who aren't and 10 people who are. And we assume that we know what the other people are doing in their bedrooms and that they can't possibly be praying because they're not praying the way we pray. Or I get this with evangelism all the time. People have a, a real call to evangelize and, and they're out there and they might be on the street and they might be sharing their faith with others and they say, you know, this church needs to share its faith more. The problem is what we tend to do is we, we're trying to evaluate somebody else based on how we do it. And what we're ending up doing is not living the life uh, worthy, uh, living our lives in a manner worthy of our own calling. We're judging other people for not doing it in the way that we're called to do it. And it's essential for us to take responsibility for ourselves. Now, this is even true in terms of the unity between St. Seps and City Temple. Do you know, St. Seps does not have our vision. And City Temple does not have the same vision as St. Seps. There's a lot of similarities, and we're very, very close. And if you think of, uh, of, of uh, Hoburn Vida kind of like a river, we're on the opposite banks of the river, but it's the same river. And we're flowing in the same 
way. Our river is flowing in the same way. We're flowing together in that sense. But, you know, it's not my responsibility to say, oh, you know, David's just not doing his job at St. Sepp's because they're not doing what we do in the way we do it. And it's not David's responsibility to say, well, those nonconformists. I knew, you know, they, they just don't do it the right way. You know, if only they'd become like us Anglicans, you know, they'd do it the right way. Uh, no, our responsibility is say, God, what have you called us to do? Let's do that, but let's do that then in unity with others who are called to do similar things, maybe in different ways, but we're all following the same Jesus and we're all going in the same direction. And that's absolutely essential. That's probably the fundamental thing that we need to do in order to maintain unity uh, and see that unity achieve all of the blessings. And if it breaks down, almost always, that is the point at which it breaks down. And we live this life in humility. That means that we need to think of others as better than ourselves. You know, I hope that everybody uh, that from City Temple that came here said, oh, wow, this new worship leader here, he's pretty good. A lot better than our old guy. That's me. Uh, a lot better than our old guy that's leading worship. I, maybe I should start coming down here for the worship and then sneaking off to City Temple later for the preaching. You know, until you hear David preach, and then you're going to say, oh, man, he's better there too. I, I don't know. Uh, and that's okay, you know, if everybody comes down here and I, I pray, praise God. But we look out. We, we want to bless one another. We want to think of each other as, as better than ourselves. That's what humility is all about. It's having a lowliness of mind, knowing what God has called us to do, and embracing our calling while honoring all those that are around us. And so Paul says we, we have to do this in humility. And then he goes on and he says also with gentleness. You know, not being hard, not being brittle, not being harsh. But we need have the, the gentleness here. We do it with patience. Uh, and patience is this idea uh, of bearing for a long time. You know, there are some things historically that have separated us for several hundreds of years as churches. And we've been bearing patiently with one another, but God's bringing that together. So we have patience, and patience is essential to unity. We can't hurry up other people. We can't rush them. And then there's bearing with one another in love. And you say, well, how's that different than patience? Well, there are things that will irritate us about each other. There are things that we might do differently that will annoy us. And we say, no, I'm going to bear with that. It's a different person. They have different ways. They have different styles. Because I'm humble, it doesn't mean that my style is better. And because I'm gentle, I'm not going to be pushing my style. But I want to li listen and I want to learn and I want to grow and I want to, want to develop. And then he goes on and he says then... Uh, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And it's absolutely essential here to remember that what he's talking about is being zealously engaged in guarding unity. This word maintain is not a strong enough translation. It literally means to guard something, to protect something. You know, I, I'm so zealous about my marriage that I will guard it ferociously. Other than my relationship with God, my marriage is the most important relationship in my life, and there is nothing that I will allow to come between us because I zealously guard our unity as a couple. 
And we need to have that same kind of zeal when we maintain the unity of our churches, when we dwell in unity amongst our churches. We need to guard the unity that the Holy Spirit has already given. And one of the ways we do that is in the bond of peace. And this means looking out for each other's benefit. We want to bless one another. We want to see God's favor poured out on one another. We're looking out for what is good for the other person, not only what is good for ourselves. And then if we're going to dwell in unity, Paul is reminding us here that we must remember that there's one God, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one hope, there's one Lord, there's not a multitude of lords, there's not a multitude of baptisms, there's not a multitude of faith. In Christ Jesus, we are one. By definition, we are one. There won't be denominations when we stand before the Lord. We are one in Christ Jesus. We have one God. We have one Father. We have one Spirit. And that is the source of our unity, and that is the foundation of our unity. And if we are to dwell in unity with all of this, we have to remember that we all have grace from Jesus. And we need to live in that grace. We need to minister out of that grace. We serve out of that grace. We know that we're saved by that grace through faith. God's grace is poured out on us. God's grace is lavished on us in his son, Jesus Christ. And this grace empowers our unity. This grace protects our unity. This grace brings our unity. Sometimes we look at each other and we say, ooh, I don't know if I like you. Maybe I'd rather push you off the bridge. And it's that grace that says, no, I may not like you all the time, but I will cherish you. I will value you. I will protect you. I will serve you. I will love you. Because that grace brings us together. And no matter how rich we are, how poor we are, no matter what nation we come from, we all need God's grace and we all live by God's grace and we all serve by God's grace. And so we can dwell in unity because the Spirit of God lives inside of us and the Spirit of God empowers it and the Spirit of God makes it all possible. And it's God's call for us right now in our families, in our churches, and I believe St. Seps and City Temple together to dwell in unity. It's amazing when you're part of churches that have been around for hundreds and hundreds of years. You know, you realize very quickly, I didn't start the church. And please, God, I don't want to end the church. <laughs> it's your church. And what a privileged place we have right now that we are here on the cusp of what could be the greatest outpouring of the Holy Spirit humanity has ever seen. We are here standing in hundreds of years of faithful Christians who have lived, who have loved, who have died serving our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We are here in the sovereignty of God, by the mind of God, for such a time as this. And God is working in us to release something 
wonderful and unique into this city. I'd like to share the word that uh, I felt like the Lord was giving me. And I will, I will forward the text to you as well, David. Um, it's what I felt like the Lord say. I am uniting today something that was broken in the 1500s. Now the winds of revival may sweep through the city, that's a capital C again, blowing through the nation into the world. Forged in the fires of martyrdom, together you have sacrificed, enduring your own crosses in the flow of history. The blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, seed which has now been planted and grown, ready to be harvested. The one who had been exiled and excluded is now welcomed back into the city. I think it's a season where God is going to move in great power both of our churches. And it's a season where we're going to see hundreds, even thousands, come to faith in Jesus Christ, healed, set free, and serving Jesus. For that, it's worth dwelling in unity. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for your grace, for your mercy, for your word. And I pray, Father God, that everything that you desire and everything that you want would come to pass. I pray that you would achieve this day everything that you have set in your mind to achieve even before the foundations of the world. And I thank you for bringing us together. I thank you for uniting our hearts in the bond of peace. I thank you for uniting us in the Holy Spirit. I thank you for uniting us under Jesus. And I thank you, Father, that you are our one Father who loves us and cherishes us and has called us all to be his sons. Oh, we love you, we praise you, and we worship you. Now, Father God, I pray that you'd pour out your blessing upon St. Sepulchre's and upon City Temple, that together, we might live our lives in a manner worthy of the calling to which we both have been called, dwelling in unity and seeing all of the manifestations, all of the benefits of unity flowing into both of our churches and through us flowing into the city of London, seeing all that you have accomplished for this city and for this nation. We pray all of this in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much. We don't normally do this, but I'd, I'd love us just to give him a round of applause and, and to say thank you. So. Yeah, it, it feels a very significant word, and I would love us to, 